What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I was 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Creeping forward, he pulls up 18 footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one stakes twice, gives the belly 35 foot three for the win. Nibania, Bialica. It's really deserved this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. For 40 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast featured by the King's Herald, and we have our first crossover pod today. You know, I screwed up the order of this, and Rich, on here as usual. How you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, so as you mentioned, um, we are now presented by the King's Herald, and uh, we've got our first guest from the King's Herald, technically, while we are presented by them. Uh, Tim was in on our last standalone King's Pulse episode, but uh, we are we have brought over the host of uh, uh, what used to be the Sacktown Royalty Show is now. I'm sorry if I, I may be struggling with the name. Is it the Jester's Court? Uh, got uh, it. Got it. Nailed it. Yeah. Mr. Bradley Geyser, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic, and you're off to a great start. You're already like you went from Tim last week to me. That's up. That's Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle right there. <laughs> Trending up. Definitely. And, you know, I guess we're somewhat going with the getting to know theme that we've kind of done with a lot of people in Sacramento media. And the first question I always throw out is what got you into sports and basketball kind of in the first place, Brad? In basketball, just YMCA when I was six and whatnot, but – as far as NBA goes, it started with Michael Jordan before the Kings. It was probably Space Jam, if I'm being honest. Um, I was far more into Space Jam in 1996 than the Kings, although I loved going to the games and watching Mitch Richmond and stuff because I was eight years old and it was an NBA game. But the thing that, like, hooked me, which everyone around my age probably has the exact same stories, Jason Williams, Chris Webber, Vladi Divac, that first team, that's when I was hooked, and unfortunately I've never looked back. 
Nice. Uh, I can relate with that. I think Space Jam is what got me into basketball. Uh, we're of the same age, I believe. We're very close to it. Uh, Brendan probably doesn't probably didn't see Space Jam in theaters. Let's calm down. Or, oh, in theaters? Yeah. Uh, but let me just say I'm very, very excited you've made two movie references already, and I am, like, actively resisting the bucking bronco underneath me of turning this into a movie podcast, but I'll keep it in check for now, and uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But I got to ask you about, like, okay, so did you grow up in Sacramento proper, or where – where around Sacramento are your, your roots at? I've never actually lived in Sacramento, technically. It's it's what I tell people from out of town that I'm from Sacramento. But I'm from Woodland, you know, just 15 minutes north, I guess it is, of Sacramento. But no one knows where that is if they're not from Sacramento. Some people from Sacramento probably don't know where it is. So, yeah, I'm basically Sacramento, just 10 minutes out of it. And then what was your first experience of sort of covering or talking about the team, the Kings, in some sort of way? I got the bite to do it during the the second relocation saga. Um, that's what I really got into Sacktown Royalty and reading it every day because Kevin and all of them were just doing amazing on-the-ground work for it. And then eventually I I had just dropped out of culinary school which is a that's a whole episode on its own. That's for Rich's other podcast. Um, but I just dropped out, and I was getting ready to go back to school, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I was going back to community college, and I started writing more. And so on the fan posts in Sacktown Royalty, I did a story. What was my first one? It was about the Kings euthanizing John Salmons, and it all went from there. Sounds very morbid. When I say it out loud, but yeah, my first Sackdown royalty writing was their reaction when they were forced to euthanize John Salmons because he was old and washed. Uh, so how did that come <laughs> about? I I joined Sackdown royalty in 2018, so it, that's pretty recent, and I think the process may have changed a bit, um, or maybe not, maybe not at all, but like. How did you get your foot in the door there? How did you meet the guys? Um, what yeah, what year was that that you joined? And was it a fan post thing that you eventually started writing fan posts and then that was your first official post, or how did that all work? Um, okay, so twenty fourteen? It was either the it was either late twenty thirteen or early twenty fourteen. I don't remember the exact timing on this, but yeah, I just wrote that and then I think that kind of got I think Aki followed me and maybe Kevin and Greg. And I remember DMing them and asking about it, and Ziller was at the tail end of all this. I like to think I was his parting shot at the crew because I was his last hire. And, yeah, I just – I did a few in the first couple, three, four weeks. It was a pretty short process for me. And Ziller brought me on and then immediately quit and made me everyone else's problem at the time. We were not nearly as big. I want to say outside of that core that's been there forever, I was one of maybe two people who weren't in Kevin, Aki, Greg, um, Blake. Who else was there still at the time? Beagler section. I want to say they were the only ones there. And, yeah, after um, after I got there, obviously this grew to, I think, 15 people now. Yeah, and I mean, with with what you're doing, are you 
kind of looking to what, – what's your sort of end goal with what's going on with the basketball stuff? Is it kind of just a side thing that you got going on that you're enjoying? Are you looking to maybe, like, take it to another step sort of thing? Well, I'm act, I am actually uh, technically a ghostwriter for a living, too. Or I am technically a sports writer for a living because I ghostwrite, but I don't – I don't ghostwrite, like, that exciting and stuff. So right now I am technically a sports writer by occupation. And it's something I'm interested in, but in a perfect world, I've always preferred uh, fictional writing and getting to be more creative with that. And I'm still, to this day, trying to figure out ways. If you notice when I write, I'm always trying to find some creative slant to it so it isn't just me spouting off stats because I'm terrible at that type of writing. So, yeah, I – if I could get into sports writing and more like journalistic stuff, interviewing people, telling their stories, that's the type of sports writing I would love doing. But, you know, obviously there's worse ways to make money, and I would probably take any job that was offered to me. So you also do a good amount of, or at least um, at some point you were doing a good amount of uh, movie and television writing too. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. I, I want to get back in the door. I'm not going to throw the company under the bus, but I thought I had a much more attractive opportunity than I did a few months ago <laughs> writing for someone. And it turns out that the writing industry, especially online, is extremely predatory and gives you certain product, projects where you sincerely make about three bucks an hour working on them to start to finish. So I put that on hold, but it's something in my free time I still try to do sometimes. I if I had to choose between sports writing and movie writing in a perfect world, I think I would love doing that more to entertainment-based writing, but I think I'm better at sports writing. Yeah, and is it just like a sort of obvious translation? So was the was the movie writing, uh, the script writing sort of first? Oh, oh a script, I'm sorry, that was, I should have worded that better. It wasn't script writing, it was like entertainment, like, Writing. I have done script writing for Sacktown Royalty. That's my only published script writing <laughs> when I made the Vexpendables. But as far as movie writing, yeah, it's I like writing about just like entertainment, writing movie reviews. I'm a, I was a lit major in college, so I really like doing like criticism and breaking down. The last movie I think I did that for was a few months ago. I did it for Doctor Sleep. I love just breaking something down to its core and finding an idea. I love that. And you can do that with sports, but it's easier with a creative endeavor. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, is um, is it movie reviews? Is it movie and film news updates? Uh, is it kind of like – so I, I think uh, – now I'm blanking on the, the site that you uh, – I've seen in your bio before and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I should pull that up. But, um, yeah, so, like, what is, like, the normal – what is, like, normal, like, movie and film and entertainment writing look like? Compared to sports writing, I guess. The stuff you're talking – in both of them, the foot in the door always seems to be writing little news things. Aggregation is huge. That's what I do a lot of for my day job is aggregation. And occasionally it bleeds over into entertainment too, but just, you know, kind of taking a little bit from here, a little bit from there, reporting it obviously, not just plagiarizing. But a lot of places have you do that because that's just an easy way to do it. But also a lot of places have, when I was doing movie and entertainment writing, I was doing more lists. So like I did one off the top of my head. I remember I did one that was 10 pop culture references hidden in Toy Story, those sort of things, because those apparently get the most clicks now. Those are not my favorite type of writing to do, but if you are interested, 
from my limited experience, those are the types of things in a lot of different mediums that you can expect to do when you're getting your foot in the door. And did you kind of always know that that's what you were looking to do, or did you stumble upon to that? Not at all. Yeah. I. Uh, so I went to co- community college right out of high school. I went there for three or four years just not knowing what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a film major back then, but I was a terrible student. <laughs> that never happened. I eventually just dropped out. For a few years, I worked retail, you know. That's another just entire different podcast with lots of different stories. Then I went to culinary school, which I mentioned earlier, because I thought that would be my ticket because I didn't think I was a good student at the time. And then I got there, and it was the most stressful year of my life, 10 times more stressful than UC Davis. But I realized there that I was actually a good student because I wanted to be good at that. So that inspired me to go back to community college, fix all my Fs from when I was 18 finally graduate. So that's kind of where I am. I graduated a year and a half ago now. I'm still figuring out what's next. Maybe grad school, maybe an opportunity will open. But yeah, I'm. it's relatively recent. So culinary school, is that where they taught you to put a slice of American cheese on ramen? I taught them that. <laughs> um, what do you what do you cook? What do you like to cook? I, I know, I'm sorry, I, and I apologize, Brendan, if we're going so far away from King stuff. This totally is the, this is the this is the Brad content that I want to know. I'm going to ask you about movies. I'm going to ask you about food. What are you cooking right now? I've seen you do some seafood stuff. You yeah. know I'm a seafood man. I would do anything. You and I, we have a date one day at Red Lobster. Oh yeah, we'll be there. Wait, can we call ourselves seafood people? And the first restaurant we list is Red Lobster. And I say that as someone who loves Red Lobster and judges people who pretend to hate it. But I've never been to Red Lobster, but I did yeah. go to Bubba Gump for my birthday. And it's amazing. I will always do that if I can. I told you, I'm the Le- I forget what exact analogy, but I'm the LeBron James of the trivia section. I kill that every time. You're the Ken Jenner of Bubba Gump. Yeah, that's what it was, Ken Jennings. <laughs> Ken, um, yes, Ken. Oh, yeah, the question. <laughs> yeah, I – wait. Now this question just blanked me. What was the question? Yeah, what are you cooking these days? Like, what are your jams when you're cooking for yourself? I – I live at home, so I'm typically cooking for my parents out of the kindness of my heart right now because they're very good to me. So I'm really cooking for myself, which is nice because cooking for yourself sucks. It's extremely hard to cook for one person. Um, but I'm I've been trying to be more adventurous. This last weekend, I made jerk chicken with they call it peas and rice, but it's really beans and rice and uh, plantains, and I'd never done any of those before. So I'm trying to, like, explore, but just the basic dishes I love. My favorite thing to cook on the planet is just a regular spaghetti and meatballs, but, like, making it all from scratch. That's the perfect meal for me. It's just I think very few things beat homemade spaghetti and meatballs. I don't know how much I can argue that one. Like, a really good spaghetti and meatballs, I'm I'm actually for that. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, and you're anti-food. (laughs) <laughs> apparently yeah. but it's yeah it's it's just one of those things like at a restaurant I almost never want spaghetti and meatballs because I never think it's as good as a nice homemade one all of them seem to use like a type of sauce not that I dislike I like most of it there's very few foods I dislike but I, there's just something so satisfying about stewing those tomatoes and if I'm being real real earnest making the noodles myself and everything um, that requires many hours, so I rarely do that. But 
yeah, it's just one of those super satisfying processes. I love the process of cooking, like from scratch. I just love having a pile of tomatoes and onions and garlic and whatever, and then five hours later, it's spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, you know, I first of all, I hope everyone heard Brendan just called eating a chore. Uh, can't at relate. Times, at times. Can't relate. Um, <laughs> I never got grounded for not eating. <laughs> That's fair. You're... <laughs> You're, you, I am, uh, your, your food takes are worse than Tim Maxwell's, Brendan, and it's, like, deeply upsetting. I just mainly don't have food takes, though. That's worse. That's worse <laughs> than liking, it, not liking any foods is worse than liking bad foods. Well, let's not say I don't like any foods. I you said you like spaghetti. Exactly, exactly. I'm a big eggs guy. I'm making myself some great eggs every morning, let me tell Scrambled you. Scrambled or fried? Scrambled. I feel like that's the wrong answer, but it's scrambled. Hey! To me, it's all in the function. <laughs> okay, Rich. I, your other answers are wrong. Uh, I listen. All right. You, all right. I, I have a take here, though, and it's not gonna. It's not gonna be very comforting. First of all, Brad, we got to get you on the Snackramento podcast at some point. We got to have you on. Uh, we'll only talk about Kings. Yeah, exactly. That's when we'll do our basketball analysis. But I am not. Our next episode of Snackramento. Um, it's on hiatus right now, but it's coming back, uh, is a pasta episode. We are nice. going to talk about all our favorite types of pasta. My incredibly hot take, my terrible food take, and I know that it's terrible, is that I do not like pasta. I am not a pasta what? guy. Yep. It's too, like, it makes me tired and sleepy. It's too filling. It's a my little too bland for me. Bad. I think that I just have not had enough exposure to good pasta. Um, like, 95% of the pasta I've ever had is, like, out of the box at home. That's delicious, though. That's still a bad take. That doesn't comfort me at all. I don't know what it is, man. I just – I don't like pasta that I make at home, at least. And I, I've had good pasta, you know, out – Now, like, I, Biba uh, in in Sacramento was my absolute jam. I love that restaurant. So I loved – it's unfortunately closed now. But, I mean, good pasta I, I love, of course. Yeah. Oh, and, and it is nice. Like, I love boxed. And I do think a lot of people don't know how to cook it. I think a lot of people throw noodles in there. Then they don't stir them or anything. They don't season the water. They don't do any of that. And then they get stuck with this clump of noodles that are just stuck together. And if that's what people – I'm don't, i not saying that's what you're doing, but – That is absolutely what I'm doing. Okay. I, I just had, like, <laughs> penne uh, and meatballs last night. And, like, yeah, it literally was one brick of penne. And there's your problem, too. Penne. I'll I'll eat penne. Actually, I had penne tonight, but penne is not my favorite pasta. It's it, there's very few times it's convenient to eat penne, but yeah, you got to salt that water and you got to stir it right away, and that that right there will change it. And then from there, you just need to know your timing, taste test, all that. So, Rich, you just outed yourself as a terrible cook. That's really what's wrong with your pasta, <laughs> yeah. is what you're saying. I am a terrible cook. Yeah, no question, no question about that. Uh, I did, however, recently purchase an air fryer, and oh. I, know you, I know you're into that, Brad. Oh, yeah, that's great. It's fun to experiment with. Not everything will land. Some things just need to be dipped in oil. I've learned that, but for the most part, I've liked everything. And as a fish guy, I did sea bass last week, and I did uh, steelhead trout a couple weeks ago twice. Perfect. You'll love the fish in there. I've been eating shrimp right out that fryer just – just yeah. dozens of shrimps. Um, 
Yeah, I I noticed you said you, you know, I think you asked about plantains in an air fryer on Twitter the other day. I love plantains. I'm a guy that uh, I I was down, I lived in Colombia in South America for six months and ate my body weight in plantains. <laughs> love a good plantain. Now, now, see, I had had plantains like once at culinary school, so I was going completely blind. I don't think I quite did them right. They're supposed to have a little bit of crunch, right? Yeah, and I that probably is one that needs oil. I will yeah, say. that's what I was thinking. I kind of, and I think I cut them too thick, so they didn't get quite as crispy as I liked. But they were good. I I'd do it again. Brendan, give me your like five favorite foods. Five of them? God. Damn. Why is that so <laughs> hard? If Some, okay. somebody figured right, with them three hundred and seventy of their favorite porn. <laughs> that was yesterday. so funny. That was so funny. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go with eggs. I'm definitely a big burger guy, especially if you're talking like a bacon ranch avocado burger. Can't go wrong there. It's a good one right there. Um, oh, man, I need three more. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe you did eggs and burgers. Yep, and then yep. Some tacos. Some tacos. Good tacos for sure. Shrimp you, tacos. You told me poke. poke oh, pokey? You're right. Yeah, yeah. Pokey, yeah. I can't believe you pronounced that wrong. What's wrong with you? Pokey. pokey. Oh, it is pokey. Is pokey the correct? I, I, I thought it was pokey. Shit, am I saying it wrong? <laughs> I'm <laughs> talking prep. <laughs> all three of us are white, so it, there's a chance that all three of us are there. My understanding was pokey. Yes, that is amazing. And then it, like, falls in the same field, but I like sushi. So I guess I could come up with more here. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it had me a little bit stumped. Yeah, yeah that's wrong pokey or sushi as long True. as they're good fish. Oh, so good. And, it's like, you know, in the pokey, there's got to be some spice going on mm-hmm. in there as well. Oh, yeah, so good. That's what I missed out in Woodland because I still live in Woodland um, is stuff like that is hard to come by. That's when I wish I lived in either, like, Davis or Sacramento where there's more food options. Which Woodland's getting better. Woodland has some amazing food, but it's still not the most eclectic mix. It's better than a lot of places its size, though. I'll give it that. I Googled it, and it is poke. So, poke. So, uh, we are right Wait, in your who did, How did you – who told you this? The lady I on Googled Google? it. Yeah. You, <laughs> you just add text-to-speech real quick and trusted that? Googled poke pronunciation, and it says pronounced poke, P-O-H-K-A-Y. What is wrong? Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, uh, Woodland. Let's do a little Woodland talk here. I have driven through Woodland a few times, and that's it. Um, they have a Popeyes though. They did. They've had two. They both went out of business. Oh man! It doesn't. The the one. Okay, this has happened to me once in my life, and this I kid you not, this happened to me. My dad and I went through Popeyes drive-through. We ordered, I forget, it was probably the $5 box of the day or whatever. We order it. They say, okay, it'll be a few minutes. So we sit there parked for probably 20 minutes in a drive-thru. No one comes behind us. So I finally gets their attention and asks about it. They forgot about us in a drive-thru. It's a high-variance fast casual restaurant. (laughs) If you need a good location or else you're in trouble, but a good Popeye's, uh, their chicken sandwich is absolutely out of this world. You gotta like that, Brendan. Like you I'm gotta, a chicken sandwich guy. I take the pickles yeah. off, admittedly, but I'm a chicken sandwich guy. It's fine. That's fantastic. I'm I, I am fully in support of that. Yeah. Man, is, when Chick, I, is Chick-fil-A a passable chicken sandwich? It is right. 
Uh, I guess Chick-fil-A has their flavor own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's very good. I appreciate their sauce selection. I'm not interested in eating there anymore. Fair. Uh, I ate there despite their terrible politics up until the point when Popeye's just took over the game. And now, I mean, that's <laughs> part of the beauty of that sandwich. See, I've never – I pretend that it's this moral high ground. I've just – I've never lived close to a Chick-fil-A. If I'm out and about, I'm not going anywhere to so I can go eat at Chick-fil-A. I like flavor, I like tasting the local flavors or whatever. So I've never actually had Chick-fil-A. I had it until recently, and there's one right next to my school, and it was just too convenient. Yeah. And really, one of those things, when it comes to these corporations, we're probably all supporting ones that are just as bad, so I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, no, I mean, every corporation is monstrous, that's for sure. Except the King's Herald. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Should we talk a little bit more about basketball? I suppose we should. Uh, Uh, There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out as well. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Tell me about your journey with the Kings. Um, (laughs) Are you – all right, so across your your fandom of the Kings while – since you've been writing, is this like the most exciting times or are you still a little bit doubtful? Are you hopeful about this return to play? Are you concerned about it? Uh, do you just not buy into the possibility of the playoffs here? How excited are you about the Kings right now? I'm not excited for basketball at all. I'm just, everything's so much bigger than basketball right now. And we have multiple teams right now with four or five players testing positive. And I just do not love the idea of this bubble in Disney World. It just seems so, when there's more cases than there were when they shut down the league for three months, it seems insane that they're planning on getting together, was that next week or the week after? Um, so I'm not saying I'm, I, I still am leaning towards it not happening because I just feel like it's going to take one thing for it to all fall apart. But I'm also kind of nervous that it is going to happen, and that doesn't bring me any more comfort. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and then in regards to the play going on on the court, are you a Marvin Bagley guy? Or are you feeling like if he's healthy out there, he needs to get a bunch of play? Or does it makes the team worse? Where are you kind of at with Brady Bagley? I'm sort of in the middle. I defend him because I think people don't judge him outside of the lens of him being – the pick over Luka Doncic. So, and at a certain point, I think we just need to separate those two things because we're not going to go back in time. So I defend him, and I do firmly believe people were a little unfair to him this year because we saw him, what, 13 times and he was injured the whole time. So I'm, I'm still cautiously optimistic that he can be a great guy or a great player, but I'm just going to wait and see. I don't, 
I'm a fan of just waiting and seeing with the guys like that. I don't watch much college, so I wasn't an expert coming in. I've seen flashes where I can see exactly why he would be a top five pick, even if Luca should have been the pick. But I'm just going to wait and see. I don't think we've gotten enough Marvin Bagley, and his injuries don't concern me enough for me to give up on him yet. How about the buddy versus bogey of it all? Is that is that a false dichotomy to you, or do you have a preference between those two players on who should be starting um, and, you know, going into the future, the possibility of one, you know, maybe being traded or not being re-signed? Do you have a, a, a guy there at the shooting guard spot that you prefer? I like Buddy as six-man, and I and it's not anything against Buddy. I'm, I am more of an apologist. I wouldn't call myself a full-on Buddy apologist. But I'm more so of a buddy apologist than a lot of people. His his little pettiness off the court doesn't bother me all that much. Um, and he is bad at defense, but so are a lot of guys. I just think Buddy's skill set is perfect for a six-man role. And even if that's a six-man role where he's getting starter-type minutes, I think the Kings have a luxury having De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Buddy. And it doesn't need to be a versus situation. I think if Buddy has been great off the bench. Bogey was good off the bench, and Bogey's been better in the starting lineup. I just want us to get an offense that can play to all their strengths, and I think all three can coexist fine in some combination. And then do you have a stance on the whole backup center, Harry Giles, Alex Len situation? I guess it's a heart versus brain situation. <laughs> My heart, I just like... I love Harry Giles. I'm very sad that he's probably going to be gone after this year because of the stupidity of this team in general. But I love him. But Alex Lynn has been better. Um, Harry Giles is great energy off the bench. I do think it's ridiculous he hasn't played more. So part of this isn't his fault. Um, so if I'm being smarter about this, Lynn was probably the right choice at least three months ago when they were playing. But in my heart, Harry Giles is still, what, 21 years old and has so much to prove. I don't get this team's development of young guys like that sometimes. So I wish we would have given him more opportunity to shine. Definitely, definitely for you there. And speaking of general stupidity, what are your thoughts on the coach and front office? Uh, I, I kind of know your thoughts on Vlade a little bit, um, but – Tell us how you're feeling about Walton's first year in charge. So I'm going to plug the other podcast for a second. I talked about this with Beagler a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. My biggest issue, I, I had issues with the whole situation with Luke Walton right after he was hired, but from a strict basketball situation, my biggest issue is I almost see him as like a more pleasant personality, George Carl, where I do not see him adjusting at all past a couple things he's done, which I applaud him for, Rashad. Rashawn Holmes and all that, but for the most part, I just, I don't understand how he's had this many years to prove himself, and I still don't know what a Luke Walton offense, a Luke Walton defense, all that looks like. Seems like he developed a good rapport with players, but on the court, I just don't understand what he's doing. I don't understand why he always puts Buddy Heald onto the other team's best player and then pulls him angrily when he can't defend him. Some, so many of our, the common mistakes that the guys on the Kings make, I put on the coaching because I feel like the coaching puts them out there to fail. And that's my biggest gripe with Luke Walton. I just don't 
it seems like he gets something in his head and ignores all logic when it doesn't work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does make sense. I think we've all seen that a little bit. Um, and then regarding the draft, like I guess names if you have them, but I, are I'm not you even kind gonna, of... I'm not going to insult your intelligence by pretending. Totally it. fine. <laughs> I, it's a general question. Would you rather like the Kings go after a high upside guy that could bust or like a safe pick? Whoever fits the team best. Not, don't worry about... Or whoever the best player is that they think can launch the Kings to the next level. Don't worry about his fit next to De'Aaron Fox. Don't worry about any of that. Draft who the best player is. So many times the Kings have drafted to fill a need on a team, and then they've changed their mind a year later and the draft pick hasn't turned out. I want them to actually just, like, swing for the fences on something and try to make it work instead of consistently adjusting to the previous mistake you made and never gaining an identity, which has been the entirety of the last 13 seasons of Sacramento Kings basketball. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I there's a I think there's a flaw in that logic, though, and this is something that I was thinking about writing about uh, for the Kings Herald is just that there's this, you know, everyone just says, best player available. Just take the best player available. Just take the best player available. Don't worry about fit. Um, like I've talked to, you know, it's all I see on Twitter. When I when I even bring up this player could fit well on this team, everyone's like, just pick the best player available. They, they have been. That's the thing. They thought that Marvin Bagley was the best player available. They really did. I sat there and asked Vlade myself I, in, in the draft room upstairs in the Golden One Center. I, I asked him, you know, why did you choose Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic? He said, because we think he's better. Yeah, but what, what's Vladi going to say? <laughs> but, I mean, why else would they have made that decision? I, I really think they thought that. I, 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 I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was completely it. I do buy that they were worried about his fit next to De'Aaron Fox, which is stupid because, I don't know, I don't give – I love Vladi. You know, obviously, he was the MVP as far as the locker room of those fun years. So I will always have a soft spot for Vladi. I would love for him to be involved with the Kings until – the day I die. I just don't want him as a GM. He's, he's, his draft record, he's made a couple great picks, is so frustrating to me. Or he's made a great pick and then did what he did with Harry Giles or whatever. He's so frustrating to me, and he always seems to give answers like that, and I've grown to not believe him. So that's a good point. I will say that because he has said that everywhere, you know, every, every press conference he's said that, you know, we think Bagley's a better player, blah, blah, blah. But I guess, I mean, you would say that. You're yeah. right. Like, you wouldn't say anything else other than that. And, of, of course, of course that is the the stance of Vlade publicly. And I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. What do you think, Brent? Do you think there's any chance that, do you think that's true? Do you think they just, that's their, that they thought was the best player they they went best player available in their minds and and that's who that's who it ended up being and, and they ended up being wrong about that or do you think that they're considering more than that? I, I would think that he, they kind of had them in the same tier and it was close enough that they leaned towards the fit a little bit. So I think that the fit concerns with Fox were kind of part of it, but I think that they think that Bagley was close enough to Doncic that that fit was a valuable reason to select him over him. I. I, that could be true. I I just think that 
there's a fallacy of best player available because, like, no one knows that. Like, you may think that, but how often are you right? I mean, didn't we kind of all know Doncic, though? I suppose, but I would imagine that most of their decisions are made on who's the better player, and I, I, I just think gun to I, their head, I don't think they know. I think there's more nuance to it than saying, which I just said best player available, so this is on me. Um, There's more nuance to it than best player available. It's more like best player. I think the the player you can see the brightest path for for going forward. It shouldn't. It should have nothing to do with his relationship with another guy on your team. But the best guy available where you can see the brightest path to that ultimate goal of a champion, and it shouldn't you shouldn't be short-sighted and think, oh, what if De'Aaron Fox has his feelings hurt? Which, that's just rumors that people have put out there. I don't know how true that is, but that's the type of stuff I don't think the Kings need to worry about, and it seems like they have in the past, or they've done, you know, this stretches back now three GMs, two ownership groups, 17 coaches, whatever it's been. And it's been the unifying theme since 2006 that they have maybe two definitively good draft picks in that time frame. What about this concept of, like, the league just not knowing either? The, you know, oh, yeah. like Kawhi being drafted outside of the top ten, you know, Giannis sliding out of the top five. Like, you know, guy, like, it's just, I don't think anyone knows for sure. Oh, there you don't, but I think there is a, a difference. I think there's good picks that don't pan out. I'll always kind of defend the Ben McLemore pick because almost everyone thought he was going to be an NBA talent and a very good one. And I think he just, he worked hard. For every reason, that jump shot never became the thing that people thought would be his weapon. Thomas Robinson was sort of similar. Um, I think there are, there's good risks. Uh, Greg Oden's the obvious one. I don't think he was the bad pick at the time, even above Kevin Durant. Just everything that happened after he was picked made that a terrible pick. So there's a luck involved in the draft, but there's also just bad picks. Jimmer was just a bad pick. That was a publicity stunt. And I love Jimmer. But does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it totally does. And I, I guess, like, part of my frustration with the, the Doncic thing, and I think most people's, was, like I said, I felt like most people – felt like he was kind of the clear pick there. I mean, there was a lot of people even saying he should kind of be one. I know it was somewhat up in the air, but I think part of the frustration was that it felt kind of obvious, um, which obviously we're not the same eye and putting the same amount of time as these GM in front offices, but I think that was most of the frustration. I do believe in Vladi's man. I don't think he went out there and thought, ha I'm going to screw up this draft pick. I think in his mind he sincerely thought he was going to do the right thing, but I question his reasoning behind it. Whatever it was, I've heard a few different theories, and maybe it was something we haven't heard. But right. And to be fair, I mean, maybe if Bagley was healthy, this is a completely yeah. different story. And I was about to say that. It, people were very high on Bagley coming into the season, and that's where I come from when I say I don't understand why people have gotten as cynical about him just based on the injuries this year when we really, we've seen a half of healthy Bagley. And I think Luca kind of pokes at us because he's having this ridiculous historic year. But it it could be a possibility where Bagley ends up being a very good player still, and Luca's just a superstar. And if the Kings are winning and Bagley's a very valuable player on that, 
I'm still going to be happy, and I'm going to stop dwelling on the fact that we could have had this other guy. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, do you cut it off at a certain point there? Like, for example, say that the consensus consensus best player available is a point guard that, like, is De'Aaron Fox size or smaller. Do you just think, well, no, we just we can't do that? When we're talking, when I say draft everyone available, it has to fit with your roster. They, unless the next point guard is the next LeBron James status player, um, you don't replace De'Aaron Fox right now. But for guys like Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich and stuff who I like and who are, I think are very good players, if you can have a player who's definitively better, you shouldn't base your draft pick on them. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Like, if you're really high in the lottery, I think that more likely than not, you shouldn't really base it on a fit because there's a chance you are getting that franchise cornerstone, even if we think Fox kind of is that. Um, I feel like if you're high up, you kind of – that's when you really start to throw fit completely out the window. Maybe not completely, um, but in some situations, yeah, if it's that level of a talent. And most most years, there's not a talent like that. Like, Zion would have been that. Regardless of who the Kings had playing power forward, um, Zion probably would have been the right pick if they were the number one pick. I don't know why I use the Kings there, but just a team in general. Like, there are players like that who I just think, this guy, maybe he won't turn out. Zion's knees are a major concern, but his potential peak, nobody is disputing. And those are the type of guys, if you hurt someone's feelings, who cares? Some might argue Luka is that. Maybe he is, but he wasn't, he wasn't the second pick or the first pick. And I'm curious if other teams were only saved by not picking third. Yeah, fair enough. It's a good point. Um, has this been enough Kings talk for you guys? Are we ready to switch up and uh, go to part two of this recording over we, at the Gestures Court? Yeah, have we discussed that yet? No, why don't you break it down for him, Brennan? Yeah, so we are posting the first part of this that you're listening to now on the King's Pulse feed, and then the second half, uh, the continued conversation of this, will go up on the Jester's Court, the other King's Herald podcast run by Brad here, and that's it's pretty much uh, the whole of it, right? Am I missing anything there, Brad? No. That's it. Uh, make sure you follow Brad at the real Brad G on Twitter and subscribe to the Jester's Court on iTunes. Also, please check us all, all three of us out at the King's Herald and uh, click over onto that Patreon page just for five bucks. You can support local Kings fans writing about the Kings and not Lakers fans. There you go. Except for Tim. I don't know why I just accused him of being Outed. Outed. <laughs> well, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Bulls podcast. Go tune into the second half at the Jester's Court. Um, if you enjoy, please give us a subscribe rating review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days and maybe in a couple minutes on the Jester's Court. Nobody builds 5G. Like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network.
Most are liable based on rankings. From Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.